Well, hello, and thanks for checking out the RFP. Each month, we talk to a rock star, and I'm your host, Vahid Farzana, founder and CEO of Freestyle Creative. Joining me today is Kelly Gann, Freestyle's president. Thanks, Vahid. I'm Kelly Gann, president at Freestyle, and many of you may or may not know this, but Freestyle actually got its start as a film production company, and so this is a very special month for us with Dead Center on the Horizon. It's coming up on June 11th. And so when we had the opportunity to interview today's guest, we jumped at the chance. We have a very special Dead Center Film Festival segment for this month. We'll be interviewing Lance McDaniel, the executive director of Dead Center. And then we'll interview two filmmakers to watch with feature films that are in the festival this year. And so joining us today is Lance McDaniel, the executive director of Dead Center Film Festival and an Emmy-nominated filmmaker who has worked on over 21 feature films, including the Oscar winner, Million Dollar Baby. Lance, thank you so much for coming on the RFP today. Well, thank you so much for having me. And I, as you know, I have um, kind of been around since you all launched Freestyle Creative and you all have been such an important part of our festival and have really helped, I believe, helped filmmakers realize the business side of filmmaking and that marketing your film can be as important as, important as making your film. And I think that, that, that you all really, before you guys did that professionally, the only one who was really kind of thinking like that was Kyle Roberts. And now all of us are, are thinking about, okay, once I make the movie, what's gonna happen? And I I think that that was a step that was missing that you all really helped provide for our industry. Well, thank you. No, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's been, the years have gone by really fast. It's been really enjoyable. Um, well, the question everyone's dying to find out is during this quarantine, what show have you been binge watching? So that's a, that is a great question. And I have been binge watching, like most people, there's a lot of them. But um, so the, the two seasons of Big Little Lies was something that I had completely missed just because of work and everything else. So that was the first thing that I dove into and just loved it. And the acting is amazing. And I thought season two was even far superior to the first one. So it was just, it was really fun. Um, not, it's not a fun topic, but it's fun to watch great actors doing very dramatic roles. Um, and then Tiger King, I love. McMillions. <laughs> for me was one of the most spectacular because you know, Dead Center gets a lot of great documentaries. And so to see something like McMillions, which you're like, ah, I don't care about that. And then it totally blows you away and it's fascinating. So I really love that. Um, and I think my next step is I'm gonna binge watch Ozark as soon as Dead Center's over. Just finished Ooh. that. It was amazing, season three. Oh yeah, and all my friends in New York are watching it, but I'm like, I can't dive in right now because Dead, you know, Dead Center is only three weeks away. So right now, I'm going and trying to watch every single movie that's playing Dead Center because I'm no longer a judge. You know, we got too big years ago. I used to watch every movie that that applied, but now that there's 1,600 of them, I can't. And so basically, we have a whole a whole group of judges that pick everything, and then once it's picked, I get to watch it to help promote it for the festival. So it's been exciting to see all these fun movies that we're playing. I watched one about Billie Holiday that is going to blow your socks off. It's just absolutely fabulous, and I can't believe there hasn't been a more definitive documentary about her yet. But um, but yeah, so it's just it's been fun. So I've been catching up on movies. You know, I've already seen all the Oklahoma ones because I watched those first and then now I go through and watch everything else that's getting in and it's we're gonna have a fun festival it's exciting wow you're excited. Really cool. I'm curious to hear yeah some of the films that you're excited to see but before we jump into all things dead center I want to go back and start at the beginning and so many people may not know this about you but you got your start in advertising yes. in Oklahoma Yes. And uh, then you worked as a consultant for major brands, including Levi's, uh, Starbucks, Virgin Airlines, and you worked in some major cities around the world, including San Francisco, New York, London. Tell us about that and how you got your start. 
Well, so, well, thank you. I um, so I went to school in California. I went to Stanford, and um, and when I graduated, I came back home for a year, <clears throat> and I worked at Ackerman McQueen, and I worked for a woman named Lel Erickson, and I know that you all know Lel, but she is still probably one of the most important people that I've ever worked with because I learned so much about what it means to be dedicated to a job, even when it's not fun and when it gets challenging. Because you know we were on eighteen-hour day shoots, and she's like, "If you want to be in film or advertising, these are the hours. This is how it works, and you can either like it or you can go work at a bank." But the, the hours aren't changing, so you can either jump on board or not. And she also she was able to find beauty in places you know we would we were doing the tourism campaign so we would drive around all over oklahoma and she'd stop and be like yep this is the one and when you look at those ackerman commercials for tourism and they still use a lot of the same footage all the time lapse footage that you see on a commercial i helped with and that was in 93 you know so that's how expensive time lapse photography is. um but it was all done on film <laughs> But so working with someone like Lael, who was super dedicated to her career, but also had, a, had an amazing eye and could find the beauty, whether you're doing a commercial for Homeland or whether you're doing a commercial for Fred Jones, Ford, or whatever it was, she was able to find the beauty. And it was such a great thing to take with me as I got into commercial film, you know, and went into the film industry because I had been trained by someone who's, who had such an eagle eye for finding beautiful images. You know, she's like, we have 30 seconds to communicate in a commercial, so every image has to matter, and every image has to tell that story, and what a luxury to learn that as a 22-year-old, so that, you know, when I went on to make movies and stuff, I still have in the back of my mind, no, even this, even this picking up a cup of coffee, there is a way to make that help tell the story if you film it correctly. So, I feel like advertising was the perfect launch pad for me, and then when I went to, when I went to San Francisco, I worked for Foot Conan Belding, and we did Taco Bell, and then and, um, and then I did Clorox and Levi's and I got to working on websites and that's where I decided to get out of traditional advertising and get into internet consulting. And so we built the first website for Harley Davidson and McDonald's and Levi's and um, the Starbucks one was probably the biggest project I ever worked on and it was massive. Um, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that tiny little local business. Um, <laughs> But it's, it was amazing. So like when we were kind of my favorite story about Starbucks is, um, is every, you know, we're building websites and you have a team of about, you know, about seven core people from the engineer to the information architect. And we, and they had a rule that any consultant had to go through their entire barista training in order to work on their projects. And it seemed like a total boondog, you know, so we get, you know, we get flown up to, to Seattle and spend three days learning how to make coffee and all this stuff. But it was amazing how you never stopped thinking about that when you were working on their project. And so while it seemed like a little bit of a waste by the end of the, uh, the year and a half project, you're like, you know what, they have, that may have been the best three days we spent because we got a deep dive into their business. And so, um, you know, when I think of you all and all the great work you're doing for different clients, I realized how lucky I was to have mentors and people um, and to work with companies like Starbucks. It's like, no, we're taking over the world for a reason. You know, we are doing it right. We're, we're going to be in every single person's mind as to, boy, I'm kind of tired, maybe I'll run by a Starbucks, you know? So it was interesting to get to work with brilliant markers like that. And because the internet was so, was so young, we really had access to the CEOs and to the CFOs of these major companies when we were building their websites. And that was a lot of fun. So you talked about finding beauty for some of these brands. And then yes. I bet that segued well into, I guess, your film background. So tell us, how did you transition from the internet consultant side and then pivot and go down the film path? Well, that's a great question. I think I just got tired of being successful and making money. 
<laughs> Looking back, that's the only thing I can think of that would have led me to to leave advertising and consulting for a film career. But um, no, I was living over in London and I was head of creative for, for Scient, a consulting company. And it was just a super fun job. But I'm like, you know what? This isn't this isn't what I was meant to do. And I had been a film major in college. And so I decided I'm going to change careers and go into film. And, um, and so I ended up moving back, but, but I, I told my boss that, and my, and I've just, I have benefited from a ton of great bosses and Bill LaRoe was this guy's name. And he was like, Lance, I get it. If you're making a life change though, you don't have to make it immediately. And if you'll stay for another year, I can get you transferred to New York. I can get you another job. He's like, but if you quit, then you're just moving home from London yourself, you know? And so, uh, so I ended up taking a year longer to transition, but it was such a, it was such great advice. And I think that I have really benefited from a lot of bosses that really cared about me, not only as a worker, but also as a, as a person. He's like, Hey, I get it. You want to do something different, but there's an easier way to do that. And I can help you with that if you give me a year. And so it was just, um, so I, I'm very grateful for Bill LaRoe and Lael and, and all the great bosses I've had. So I, I moved to New York, went to a film program at NYU that a continuing education program um, to see if I really wanted to do it. Went to Alaska on kind of a soul search mission and decided I was going to change my life. And I um, interviewed with Gray Fredrickson, moved to LA and started working on movies. And so that was in 2005, I believe, or 2000, yeah, 2005. So it's been 15 years that I've been working in movies. Um, and I've worked on 21 feature films um, after working on Million Dollar Baby in Los Angeles, which obviously was fabulous and Plenty Wood was great and everyone was great. Um, I got asked to move back to Oklahoma with Gray and I hadn't been home in 18 years and um, I hadn't been, I visited but not lived there. And, um, and so I was like, yeah, I actually would love to do that. I, it's been so long. I haven't been with my family. And so that decision to move home to Oklahoma was without question the best decision I've ever made in my life. And I, I certainly like going to Stanford was a good one. Moving to London was good, but no decision has really impacted my life as positively as moving home to Oklahoma. And a lot of that is because my family is great, but a lot of that, and I get along with them super well, we hang out all the time. But a lot of it is that, that we live in an environment of yes. And all three of us and Kelly and, and Vahid, I know you know this, that Oklahoma is a place that if you have a good idea, you can get people to support you and people will work to help you succeed. And I think that that is, that we're lucky that we came about at a time and your company started about around the same time that I was doing movies, is that Oklahoma had gone through some hard times and had gotten to a place where, hey, we need young people living here. We need creative people here. We need young businesses here. And so I have found my entire 15 years in Oklahoma to be wonderful because it's just gotten better and better every year, more inclusive, more diverse, more positive. And so I just, so moving here has been the best decision ever. And I'm lucky that I went into film because that's really what facilitated my move home. What do you think has contributed to some of that renaissance that you talked about here in Oklahoma City? What's made that shift? Certainly maps. I like I'm the world's biggest fan of maps. And I think that when Norick and them lost the bid, when you know, when Oklahoma City lost the bid while Mayor Norick was there for the uh, for the United Airlines hub, um, that really got people in Oklahoma thinking, you know, we can't just resist the future. We have to embrace diversity. We have to embrace, you know, 
including people from out of town and all of that. And so I think all three of us and our companies are the benefit of the fact that 20, 30 years ago, people make some hard decisions, got voters agreed to pass self-taxing through the MAPS program. And so I think MAPS, so for me, MAPS is probably the biggest single thing. But I also think it is a generation of people ahead of us. And Vahid, I, I absolutely am amazed by your father and your uncle. And there, so people like, no, that's true. People like your father and your uncle who are, you know, who came from a different background that's not traditionally Oklahoma and put up with a lot of grief and then became the most successful people in their business in the state. And they didn't leave, they didn't become bitter about it. What they did is they started changing the complexion of the state by, by donating to universities so there could be a better understanding about diverse cultures and people from different regions. And so right. I think that, and, and I think my parents are the same way. So, so the fact is Absolutely. People, people that are you know 60 to 80 right now really get a ton of credit for how awesome Oklahoma City is for all of us who are you know 30s, 40s, and 50s mm-hmm. because they were really going against the grain making decisions that had the benefit of us, you know, years on down the line. So I think that both the the people that came before us that were willing to put in the hard work to face adversity and also to believe that that Oklahoma is awesome. Oklahoma is awesome and it needs to be more awesome for more different types of people. And because of that, now it is. Yeah, no, absolutely. Oklahoma is fantastic. I mean, you and I, we've actually worked on a few films together. And, exactly. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and I had a question. I want to see what is your favorite film that you produced or directed and why? That's a great question. All of them are pretty great, you know. So, I mean, so I've directed four features and I think now four shorts. I would say probably the most fun film for me ever was Crazy Enough. And partly because it was the biggest film I ever did. And so Sean Lynch and Dave Green and I spent three years raising money and then we hired a, an all Oklahoma crew and an all Oklahoma cast, except for you know a couple people, and um, and to me that was that was the biggest project I've worked on. It took you know it was a four year process to get it completed, and um, and I'm really happy with how it turned out. And so that was that was awesome because it was kind of all of our first time trying to step into the big league, you know, and it got released overseas and it got went to the theater too. And so um, so for me that was probably the most rewarding. And then as far as shorts go. Um, Swirl, which you worked on, is probably my favorite short. And the reason for that, and you all know this more than anybody, but you start off with a strategic plan, you move into you know the creative design, you do this, and every campaign, every film, every everything turns out almost exactly like you think it was going to, right? <laughs> <laughs> Not quite, right? Never exactly that. You know, it's never like, well, we didn't get Heather Locklear, so now it's, you know, Jenny McCarthy. Uh, and so, uh, <laughs> not to date myself. But, um, but um, with Swirl, what I imagined and wrote down and met and talked with Hichop Hoos to choreograph it is exactly what it looks like on screen. And so that is so rare that it's just, it is fun for me to watch that because every one of those locations are someplace that I walk by on my daily walks. It's, I have a little five mile loop and every one of those were on that loop. And I thought someday I'm going to make a movie in that little cove and this little tree and this little thing. And so that was probably, it was fun to be able to do something so contained that it could turn out like you wanted it to, because usually every feature you're like, okay, well, we lost, we lost that location. We lost that person. We, you know, it's just constant compromise. <laughs> you end up with and so uh yeah so both of those from your time in advertising and marketing what were some of those important tenets of marketing and promotion that you carried over into 
marketing your films? I think anyone who runs a business or owns a business has to think about marketing. And I think, you know, with big corporations and stuff, you're like, ah, oh, marketing's costing us too much and all this. But if you're a one-person business, you have to get people excited about what your business is, and that is marketing. And so, and if you want people to buy it, they have to know about it, you know, and they have to know where to get it and all that stuff. And so I feel like the basics of marketing, who is your audience? Who are you trying to reach? How are you going to reach them? All those things that you're thinking about are really, again, kind of like I referenced earlier, that's what you all have brought to the Oklahoma film industry is, hey, even from the very beginning, I remember when you all were sitting with Shifter, and Shifter is one of my favorite movies that's going to play Dead Center this year because I just love them. But they they had their first kickoff in your office, and I remember those discussions, and it was, we're, we're targeting these people. Here's how we're going to get them. <clears throat> and so I just feel like the same thing that you all bring to your clients and to your and the filmmakers you partner with are the skills that I learned working for Foot Kona Belding and Ackerman McQueen. And um, what is what is really great about working for profit is – you're, you're analyzing every single detail to figure out how to get one more dollar out of that campaign. And I think with the nonprofit, they're like, oh, well, we tried hard. We sent out a letter campaign. You know, obviously that's not true. <laughs> but I think that there's something about the aggressive nature of for-profit advertising and business that really hammers home that, no, we're going to optimize every single thing with this commercial, with this letter campaign, with this, you know, with this billboard. And so I helped, to me, I think it made, I think working in marketing was the reason I was very successful at Dead Center because Dead Center was already an amazing product. What we needed to do was figure out a way to market it so it wasn't so French, you know. And so our growth over the last ten years has been from about ten thousand to about thirty-five thousand people, and that growth has happened because we were constantly working. And Alex, who's now who's going to be running it after June, is a champ at this too. How do we get new people? Is it through films? Is it through educational programming? You know, and so for us, we don't have marketing dollars. So if we want to reach a new audience, it's then let's set up a class related to kids learning a skill. And then all of a sudden we get those new, you know, so, um, so for me, Kelly, I think all those working on Clorox Beach probably is the most specifically marketing thing because the product's the exact same as the generic brand. And yet they, they make a dollar 80 more per buck, you know, per bleach because of the, lo the logo. And so I think just looking at that kind of research that they do really helped me, not only with my films, I actually think I was much better at marketing Dead Center than I ever was at my own films. And I think it's because it's hard to talk about yourself. Mm -hmm. It is very hard to talk about yourself in a way that doesn't feel gross to you. You know, and after you've spent a year and a half making this movie, then you're like, oh, now I have to explain why I made it and be nice every time. <laughs> and so, so I do think... Um, I, I think I need to get better at marketing my own movies and they'd be more successful. But I think all those skills really came into play when I was at Dead Center. Any advice right. for those who are trying to get over, I guess, the shame of, you know, self-promotion so, and just, just going for it and promoting yourself and your yes. film? I think you can't. Yes. And it will. If you don't believe in you, why would you expect someone else to? And if you're not willing to do the hard work of selling it to raise that money, then you're not going to get that money. You know, and a lot of people are like, once I raise money for crazy enough and we got a kind of a star, um, everyone in town was like, oh, will you help me raise money? I'm like, sure. Call 250 people, meet with all 250 of them, and 12 will say yes. You know, like, like that, that's my secret is I said. <laughs> Was talking to every person I knew, and finally 12 of them said, okay. And so, um, you know, and I think people think there's a secret weapon, you know, and I, it's funny when those guys did um, Rudderless and William H. Macy, member um, Casey and Jeff, 
and they're super mm-hmm. guys, but I was so jealous. I'm like, oh, they got a famous person and everything's so easy. And then I interviewed them and they're like, we knocked every door for three years. We went to LA, we met with every studio and you're just like, there is no secret sauce. Hard work is the secret sauce and you either are willing to put the time in or you're not, you know? And so I think there's a lot of very talented filmmakers that will never make it because it takes more than just being a good creative unless you have a bulldog producing partner that's willing to do it for you. But in my mind, those don't really exist here. You know, I mean, we, re- we don't really have people that aren't, that are just producing and raising money, you know, or there's not, a, or not enough. <laughs> um, and so, so I think every filmmaker needs to view their film as a business and how, what are they willing to do to sell that business and raise money for the business. So you lived in the big city, you did marketing, you came to Oklahoma making films, and then uh, now you're executive director of Dead Center. Tell us about uh, how you got your start at Dead Center. Great question. So I, um, so I have had now 11 movies play in Dead Center. <clears throat> and, um, and it's been a lot easier since I'm their boss. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. There are people who complain that my movies get in. Luckily, they're usually good enough. (laughs) Basically, so I had a few films in the festival and I was a full-time, I was a volunteer. So if I wasn't working on movies, then I was a full-time volunteer. So I watched every movie for like two or three years for Melissa Scaramucci. And um, when Kaki and Melissa told me that they were leaving, I got very nervous because for me, Dead Center was the most validating part of the film festival in Oklahoma, of the film industry in Oklahoma because it felt like there was a world of people not taking local filmmakers seriously. And then you show up to Dead Center and they're yelling at you, you're a filmmaker, you matter, your film is awesome. And I had never felt that anywhere else. And I still, I mean, like, and, and now it's obviously now our state's much more film friendly. But when you think back 15 years ago, it wasn't. And people were like, well, did you win an Oscar? Well, then you're not a filmmaker. And I was like, well, boy, that's a hard criteria. You know, you know, you know, did you win the Nobel Prize? Well, okay, great. Then you're not a doctor. Um, you, know, so, uh, you know, and so it felt like, I felt like Dead Center was the most positive place for filmmakers. And I was scared to death it was going to go away. So I applied for the job and, um, and thought maybe I'll do this for a couple of years so they find someone to do it because I'd never worked at a nonprofit. When I started, Kim Haywood was already working there, and we were in Steve Mason's, a cube inside Steve Mason's company, Cardinal Engineering, and uh, we were the loudest cube, and those engineers hated us, <laughs> except for Kristen Torkelson, who became our board chair um, and a big-time volunteer, and I went thinking, Dead Center has to stay because there has to be someone promoting local filmmakers. There has to be someone saying your film's relevant, even if you're in high school, even if it's five minutes, even if it's about your grandpa, that is a movie. That is storytelling that matters. And so um, I felt like Dead Center did that better than anybody. And what I'm most proud of, probably, well, I'm probably most proud of the growth, but I am equally proud that we still provide that positive, in, you know, that positive reinforcement for tons of filmmakers. Now, the truth is it's harder to get in now. And so not every high school filmmaker gets in and not every local filmmaker gets in. But when you do get in, we promote you all over the state. We promote you nationally. We try to get you distribution. We bring you to classes. So our goal is still, how do we benefit these filmmakers that have shared their awesome movies with us? And then on the flip side, how do we stay relevant to Oklahoma City as the world changes? You know, And so we used to be, 
really important because we were a fringe creative event. Now that's not the role we play. Now mm -hmm. we are important because film is important and Oklahoma film is important. So we're no longer kind of this fringe fun thing for a few people. We are, we're representing the art of film once a year in a big way and then doing education year round. And so, um, so it's been, for me, working at Dead Center has been the most rewarding job I've ever had. And um, it is because of that that I chose to leave. And I know that sounds stupid, but I thought I could do this job for 20 more years and love it. But is that fair to Alex? And more important, is it fair to Dead Center? Do you want someone coasting for 20 years at a job or would you rather have someone so passionate and so gung-ho that they're gonna change the world? And that's what I think Alex is gonna do. You know, after she and I worked together for seven or eight years, I'm like, I don't want her to have to be 60 to get this job. I want her, she's 33, let's get a 33-year-old woman in there making new decisions, changing how we're thinking about film, changing how we're approaching the film industry here, and making new decisions. And the fact is, no matter how sweet I am, if I'm your boss, I'm still kind of making all the decisions, or I'm at least having a very heavy influence. And so Dead Center deserves to have someone young and creative like Alex Picard Davis to come in, take over, and infuse it with tons of new energy. And luckily, almost all of our core volunteers are really closely connected connected to her. So I think you won't see any, there will be no disruption in the service of Dead Center. And instead, you'll just see more new excitement because she has a whole different perspective than I brought. You were talking about her vision on our, our last call and the direction that the festival is going to be taking moving forward. And it's also an interesting time with COVID-19 and the transition online. And so the fact that, you know, this new chapter for Dead Center is happening this year um, tell us about that and then tell us about um, what Alex has in store for the future. So I guess it was March, early March, when things started getting canceled, right? And so South by Southwest got canceled probably, you know, the week before we went. And right when that happened, we're like, we need to make a decision very quickly and stick with it. And so we met, I was probably pushing the hardest to keep it public and in theaters just because I love those thousand person parties. But once we realized that wasn't gonna happen, we decided, great, we're going online and we're gonna do it better than anyone else. How do we do that? How do we start? Who do we contact? Who are the industry contacts we have? So, so um, Alex reached out immediately to Eventive and Eventive is the system that's hosting the festival this year. And there are ticketing and our scheduling system from the last few years. So we already had a relationship. She got on board with them. They're, um, Basically, because we decided quickly and definitively that allowed us to take the lead within the Film Festival Alliance. And so Alex is the vice chair of the Film Festival Alliance board. And so she was leading the charge. And here's the technology we're using. Here are the other ones available. And she was on a call every day with other film festivals talking about what are best practices? How are we doing this? What is Tribeca going to do? What is Sundance doing? What are the Cannes Film Festival people doing? And so um, it was... It turned what was going to be me coasting into not easy because topping every, the hardest thing for us is topping the parties every year. You know, because once you have a thousand people and a bunch of celebrities and everything else, it's like, okay, what's next? We're going to the moon, you know? So, um, <laughs> so once we got past that, okay, well, that's not the criteria this year. It's not who can be the biggest and the flashiest. It's how can we create something totally revolutionary online for the filmmakers that we're here, that, that our mission is to support. And it has been awesome. So it has completely changed. So we went from getting permits, booking venues, taking in films, all of this stuff, 
completely changed, whereas now we're turning into a television studio that starting June 1st, we'll be recording 70 hours, pre-recording 70 hours worth of, worth of content. And that's um, Q&As with eight people from different countries that are part of a shorts program, slot after slot after slot, all the filmmakers, some of the classes, some of the panels. <clears throat> and then during the festival, we're going to offer another 70 hours of live broadcasting. So we'll be broadcasting live from Tower. And this is a totally new model for us. You know, so we're, we are now a broadcasting company providing 170 hours worth of content over over an 11 day period. And it has been awesome trying to figure it out, you know, and I don't think it's luckily things like this, the whole world is, you know, so so the good news is, no one came back and was like, Oh, I'm so mad you're online. Everyone was like, Oh, thank goodness, you're having a festival, because a lot of arts aren't able to. And the fact is, I was so sad. I have really close friends at Lyric, at the Philharmonic, at the ballet, everyone at all the museums, all those people at all those different art groups are our biggest supporters. And so for us, it was heartbreaking that they had to cancel their season, but we have a, a, a medium film that allows us to, get, to move forward in a way that people are used to. Every one of us is on a Zoom call every week and is watching something streaming to us every week. Whether you're one or 80, that's your reality over the last two months. And so we're gonna be able to tap into that and try to do some unexpected things as well. But it has been, but basically to your question, it has been the most interesting thing that's ever happened to me at Dead Center. And I'm thrilled that I was here this final year so that I got to be a part of the transition because moving forward, I think Alex, will keep the, the online portion as a key component. I don't think it'll ever replace people's joy of going to a movie theater, but what it will replace is when you used to go to Dead Center, you got three days to watch 120 movies. You're not gonna see them all. And now you got 11, you can watch every single movie. And so if you're a movie buff, this should be the best year ever. And we're gonna try to figure out moving forward, or Alex's, is how do we add that component to to every festival what i hope it is is that shorts programs exist online and in the theaters and then the, the and then the 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 um the features kind of decide on a one-by-one -one basis, you know, because features are dealing with different distribution questions that affects what they're able to do with festivals there's a lot changing um this is your last year at dead center and you're taking things online also this year the festival made the smithsonian magazine's eight film festivals to attend which is uh, a big deal that and was a huge deal for us and thank you for bringing that up yes because um, i hate to just promote myself all the time uh, the, uh, <laughs> yeah, although you have to filmmakers get used to it. um that was amazing and what was so fun about it is you know we were listed second after the one world and that one world festival really <laughs> made me nervous when it was announced because it's Berlin, Venice, Tribeca, Cannes, Sundance. You know, I mean, it's 20 of the biggest film festivals in the world that have combined. And at first I'm like, oh, should we be trying to be a part of that? I'm like, well, how would that help our filmmakers? If you go to the One World Film Festival, what are the odds you, go, you click down to Dead Center and then click down to a short film? And so we're like, no, we are a very unique specific film festival that plays a great role in our region, in our state, and nationally. You know, the fact is the world doesn't need more Sundances. The world needs a ton of different, like, so on that list, as you saw, there was a Latino film festival, there was a vegan film festival, a Jewish one. <clears throat> and I think that that is great because there are so many stories being told and what, and you know, and, and the world today, people are tired of having one point of view tell them every story. And so for us to be able to offer 140 films from Africa, Asia, you know, Europe, 
America. We're, 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 our films are from all over the world and they allow, to, they allow us to present a whole tapestry of storytelling from different perspectives. And I think that, that, um, that, that, uh, that because of that, it was more important for us to stay stay true to ourselves, not try to glob onto another bigger festival, but provide something that, that is uniquely Oklahoman and uniquely relevant to our, to our filmmakers. One of the aspects that we really love about Dead Center is the networking. Uh, yes. We talked about the parties. And so in this era of social distancing, um, what do you recommend in terms of, you know, finding your film community, finding people that you want to work with during this type of, this type of yes. time? Yes. No, I think, boy, that is... <laughs> If I can answer this, I will have a career ahead of me. Um, <laughs> uh, that is the best question that we're still toying with in that, um, you know, live music, people were always like, oh, why don't you have more live music at Dead Center? And I'm like, because every one of our parties is specifically geared for you to meet a filmmaker and for filmmakers to meet each other or potential investors. And so we don't want you watching a band. We want you listening to music from a DJ and meeting filmmakers. And so usually we would do that. So all of our, the only parties that would have live music would be from 11 p.m. on, right? We'd bring JB out and then we'd bring a band or two. And, mm -hmm. uh, but the goal was always, we are Oklahoma's biggest networking event for filmmakers. And for us to do that, we have to create environments that allow for it. And so in this new environment, that is the biggest challenge. And how we've addressed it so far is we're going to have hangouts with smaller groups of filmmakers. So all shorts filmmakers, all features filmmakers, all documentary filmmakers, all music people. And we're gonna do that leading up to the festival so that the filmmakers get a chance to meet each other. And we're also trying to figure out if we can allow them to watch each other so that you can watch anyone who's in your program. But the goal is let them meet up front. Cause we tried something last year called Short Talk at Stella Nova. What the goal was, was let's get a bunch of, let's get a series of panels of short filmmakers talking about their movies so people will come and see them. Well, that wasn't what happened at all. What happened was tons of short filmmakers met each other for the first time and were like, oh, great, because you have 1,000 people parties and I don't know anybody, but now I know these other short filmmakers, so when I go to the party, I have someone to say hi to. And, I, and of course, I hadn't thought about that because I'm perfectly comfortable talking to people in a 1,000-person party, but a lot of filmmakers aren't. And so we learned from that deal. We're like, okay, then we need to come up with specific ways for filmmakers to meet each other and then allow them to go out and meet the public. And so we're going to host a series of pre-festival meetups for filmmakers, and then we're going to do the same thing publicly during the festival. So we'll have, we'll, we will announce it, we'll say, hey, it'll be kind of pop-up chats, and that will say, hey, tonight at five, come meet all the shorts filmmakers and ask any questions you have, but we're going to do that after the first weekend so that people can watch all the movies. Because our thought was, usually we would say, meet all the filmmakers, meet someone you like, and then go see their movie. This year, it's, figure out those movies and then come and talk to those filmmakers. You know, so it's gonna be a little bit opposite, but we are still researching, <clears throat> in addition to Zoom and Hangout, what are the ways that we can have you interact with the filmmakers that are sharing their movies because they wanna talk about it. They wanna explain why they made that documentary. They wanna talk about the five-year process it took to get that interview, you know? And so, um, and so we are, we haven't announced all of those, but that is really our focus this week is, okay, community is important. How do we create community online? Now with the classes, so we're offering 12 free classes from the Film and Music Office, like Tony Marlowe, all sorts of people that are awesome. And we'll be doing live Q and A's through all of those. And so part of it is, is we're using Facebook Live 
Q&As to allow people to interact as things are happening. So every panel will have live Q&As going on. Every, you know, everything we're doing besides the actual movies will have a live Q&A component to it so that there's an infinite ways to interact with it. And then we're attaching those Q&As to the film. So when you watch a movie after that first weekend, the Q&A will automatically play right after it. We're excited because I think we're going to be able to catch a lot more. You can be more places. You can join more right. conversations, have more intentional uh, meetups and conversations with filmmakers. So I know we're really excited for that. Um, but one last question for uh -huh. you before we wrap up today. If you have to leave filmmakers with any last uh, advice, what would that advice be? I have a lot of advice for filmmakers. So. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Point 32. Now, uh, um, um, I think my first advice is if you want to be a filmmaker, do it. Go out and make that movie because I think let's assume that you are not Quentin Tarantino and your first film is not going to be Oscar caliber revolutionize the industry. And if you go from that perspective, you'll be more willing to let people read your screenplays. I hear so many people saying, oh, I don't want someone to steal my ideas. There hasn't been an Oscar-worthy idea come out of Oklahoma ever, right? I mean, like, there, no one has written an Oscar-winning movie from Oklahoma. So, I, well, actually, I think a guy wrote a rival from Norman. But allow people to help you. Allow, allow your friends to work on that. Take advice on your screenplay. Assume you're not a genius yet and allow, take criticism. And don't be mad when someone says that that character doesn't make sense. It probably doesn't. Every movie I've gone back of my own and watched, I see need re room for improvement. And the movies where I was open to other people's input are the movies that turned out the best. Be collaborative, but also come up with an idea, film it, and be done with it and move on to the next movie. Because I think the people that don't succeed are, if you're on your sixth year with your first movie, you're not doing it right. You need to get that movie done because six years from now, you will have better ideas than six years ago. So finish that movie and do the next one and do the next one and do the next one. Instead of being stuck on this first film has to be perfect. It won't be. It's your first film. <clears throat> like if like, there's not a single thing in life where your first time out the gate, you're amazing at it. Right. And so right. you have to practice, you have to train, you have to do all this stuff. And so I think filmmakers need to, to view themselves as I want a career in film, not I've got to make this movie and it has to be perfect. Uh, Lance, that's great advice. Just get out there and do it. And, and a lot of different aspects, entrepreneurship, business, like there's so many places I just get started and, and get the, get, get it done. And because there's uh, no better teaching. There's no better teaching than making that movie and seeing people react. Like when learn, yeah. in the back of a film festival and listen to people laughing where they're not supposed to and not laughing where they're supposed to, <laughs> that helps me figure out what went wrong with that script, but it'll never happen if I'm just watching it myself and never letting the world see it. Right. Learning to even fail. So all that is definitely very valuable. And, Again, I'm really excited for Dead Center Film Festival this year. Now I'm even more excited. I'm already excited, but I was already now I'm even more excited. But um, um, just wanted to say thank you again for joining us to chat. And if people want to check out the Dead Center Film Festival, which I highly recommend, uh, tickets are available at deadcenterfilm.org, I believe. Exactly. Okay. So they're they are half off this year. It's a hundred bucks. And that $100 pays for us to transition to the festival online. So that $100 allows you to see 140 movies um, throughout an 11-day period and watch. And we're having film reunions, if I can only imagine. Greg Fredericks is going to talk about The Outsiders. Bomka Jansen is going to talk about Maggie bringing up Bobby here in Oklahoma. And so we have a lot of really fun film cast and crew reunions. So it's going to be our. It's going to be different, but I think it'll be the best festival we've ever done. The films are amazing, and I am so grateful to you two and to Freestyle Creative for what 
you have done for our industry because you have brought an understanding of the importance of marketing and the importance of treating a film like a business because it is. And so I'm really, really grateful for you. And I thank you for having me on today. Oh my gosh, thank you. Thank you so much, Lance. We're excited for the innovations with Dead Center this year. And thank you all to our listeners for checking in on the podcast uh, this month. We're going to have two special mini episodes coming up with the creators of two other films, Shifter and She's the Eldest. So we'll be talking with Jacob and Zach Burns and then Kate Jones about their films. So don't forget to follow the Really Fine Podcast on social media at RFP OKC for more interviews and behind the scenes. Thanks so much. Thank you. Yeah, and we're so proud of the films, and thank you very much for having me. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this special episode of the RFP in honor of the Dead Center Film Festival. I'm Kelly Gann, president at Freestyle Creative. And I'm Vahid Farazana, founder and CEO of Freestyle Creative. And this week we're continuing to highlight local filmmakers. And today we're talking to Jacob and Zach Burns, what I like to call the Burns Brothers. And their new film, Shifter, is debuting at the Dead Center Film Festival. Guys, thanks for joining us today. Thank you guys for having us. Happy to be here. Absolutely. So we want to start back at the beginning. So Burns Brothers, growing up, filmmakers, uh, how did all of this start? Did you guys pull out the family camera? How did you guys get into filmmaking? It really started really young. Our dad was a big film buff, uh, and he really loved uh, movies from all decades. So at a really young age, we kind of started seeing movies that a lot of people didn't see at our age. So we were watching like silent films when we were in like second and third grade, um, and Marx Brothers and Universal Horror Monster movies from the 30s and 40s. So all good stuff. We just kind of grew up with a love of film, and it just kind of kept going. And then around uh, sixth grade or so, yeah. we. Uh, uh, we borrowed a family friend's camera, uh, and I, I desperately wanted to make a movie called Fifi, which was a, uh, a Godzilla ripoff, basically, using yeah. our Godzilla action figures and toy soldiers and stuff like that. It's great. It's a classic. It is. It's, Where did the name come our, from? Yeah. <laughs> Where did it come from? I have no idea. It came from something. I can't remember. It's been so long. But, uh... Yeah, if you search hard enough on YouTube, it's it's out there somewhere. Yeah, um, you could find it. Got to uh, bring it out of the archives, put it in the Burns <laughs> Brothers yeah. Planet Thunder catalog. How old were you guys when you guys did that one? I was in sixth grade, so you oh, were wow. a bit like fourth grade. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I was not making well, films at that age. <laughs> That's so you, you evolved and uh, I guess your Dead Center debut was Electric Nostalgia, which we loved and that was several years ago and that was the, the best Oklahoma feature film winner several years ago. Tell us about that. Yeah, so we'd done basically after Fifi, uh, we... <laughs> uh, you know, watch Fifi and we're like, you know, we can, we can probably do better. We can do a little bit better. Fifi too. So we, yeah, throughout the years, we just kind of kept making stuff. Uh, we ended up getting a camera of our own at some point. And so we were able to just keep making stuff. And then we went, I went to film school uh, and uh, learned a lot there. And then, yeah, so eventually we, we had made a bunch of short films and, and eventually decided that we thought we could do a feature film. Uh, and so that became Electric Nostalgia, which we shot in 2014, I believe. Yeah. And then it premiered at Dead Center in 2016. 
uh, but it's kind of a sci-fi thriller. It's black and white. Uh, it's uh, it's about a. I haven't done the pitch for it in a long time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, psychological thriller. It's about a woman who wakes up in a body that's not her own, and she starts seeing these like kind of weird visions of this guy with with no face, uh, and she has nightmares, and then there's just all kinds of thrilling things that happen. So it's weird. Um, yeah, it's very weird, but it's cool. It's good. That was my favorite I remember film when I watched the festival. it. Yeah. yeah, in 2016, everybody was talking about it afterwards. So oh, nice. if you haven't seen Electric Nostalgia yet. Uh, yeah, check film. it out because it was definitely a film that made you think and had a lot of people talking afterwards. Oh, yeah, awesome. it was it was a, it was my favorite film obviously that year and it was incredible. So really enjoyed it. Which brings me to my next question, which is uh, your current film, Shifter. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, um, what is Shifter? Shifter. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping you guys could tell us. <laughs> uh, uh, so Shifter is a time travel horror movie about a young woman who experiences the painful and gruesome side effects after an experiment with time travel goes wrong. And it she basically starts to shift through time at random. She has no control when it will happen or how far forward or backward she's going to end up. Uh, and so it kind of, uh, it's a, it's a very different type of time travel movie. Hopefully one that people haven't really seen before. Yeah. When you were developing the script, what was your inspiration? How did you get the idea for it? It really kind of started from just this idea. Like it really started from time travel and horror. I was like, what's, what, what's, what's the horror of time travel? I've seen all kinds of time travel movies. I'm a big fan of all of them. Uh, but there's kind of a few tropes if you will that you see yeah. over and over again uh and so we were kind of like well if we did a time travel movie if we added to that let's try to do something different uh and so that's that's really where it started was okay well what's horror is an aspect we haven't really seen in time travel so what is the horror of time travel and that led us to this idea of it being painful uh and uh and then the whole randomness of it and we just kind of slowly built from there do you want to talk about the night we did it <laughs> uh so uh this happens on a lot of when we're first getting the ideas for movies uh and what they're gonna be is uh basically one of us will come up with very basic idea and so jacob was like horror and time travel how <laughs> um and so we basically just got together and uh went to a taco bueno uh had some had some tacos uh and then basically hung out there for like two or three hours just talking <laughs> out what this movie could be. Uh, and that's how films so, are made back, yeah. yeah so so uh we all need to go to a taco bueno yeah inspiration lives <laughs> what else did you eat burritos <laughs> yeah as much inspiration as we could get yeah yes <laughs> So filming a time travel horror film, what was that experience like on set? And tell us about some of the stories from production. It was, it was interesting. The, the, the time travel aspect was definitely the most like annoying on set. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's uh, some continuity things uh, yeah. that you have to keep track of. Like a lot of times the movie might be in one scene at one point. And then we might come back to that scene, but from a different perspective. Uh, or 
Um, there are definitely scenes where the there might be more than one main character what of the same person in the scene yeah uh, and so we had to like be very careful with um eye lines and we had a few stand-ins to kind of uh, give us you mm-hmm. know if we needed someone else's shoulder to pretend to be our lead actor because there were supposed to be two lead yeah two of her in the shot yeah. uh so um that was that was definitely a challenge i'm actually curious on the films you talked about the film style that you inspired you but what what are some of your guys' favorite films in general that you know you guys have really enjoyed? So many tough so, questions there. So many, so, so many. Like um, we're definitely it's alphabetical big. order. If you can just give it to me in alphabetical okay, order. Okay, yeah. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, definitely a, a lot of horror and sci-fi is definitely a big part of our lives. Sure. Um, John Carpenter's The Thing is a big one uh, that I love quite a bit. Um, really loved a newer one, uh, Midsummer from last year. Really, really loved that one. Super good. Um, but yeah, we we'll watch all kinds of stuff. Love Spielberg and yeah. um, big Twilight Zone fans. Oh, yeah, yeah. Watching the Twilight Zone marathons whenever I could. And um, have you guys yeah. seen Cats? It's great. <laughs> My favorite film from last year by far. Oh, yes, good. yes. Thank you. Thank you. for so many reasons. I'm glad to know you're an evangelical. <laughs> so if people are gearing up for dead center and checking out shifter at the festival what are some other films they should check out to get in the mindset for sure um i am personally a part of two other films at dead center this year um one is uh the feature film she's the eldest which was directed by kate jones i was the cinematographer on it and it's a really cool kind of dramedy with some maybe supernatural elements as you as you watch it um so i'm really excited about that one and then he's got one as well uh yeah i actually uh apart from shifter uh have another project called home sweet home which is a short film i directed uh which is a new thing for me uh but it's uh it's in the oki shorts mixtape volume two section i think is what it's called uh so be on the lookout for that starring ashley mandanis it's uh who's also in shifter nice uh and it's uh, just kind of a neat little spooky uh comedy awesome so for both of these films where can we catch them at dead center i heard something about a drive-in there are rumors i don't know yeah the exact details of that but hopefully that comes through yeah um uh, i think that's they're supposed to announce some stuff pretty soon on that mm-hmm. so yeah stay tuned yeah with everything going online this year um what can your followers expect with the festival going virtual um hopefully to have a good time yeah um, hopefully I so think this is a new experience for all of us um but i know dead center has done a lot of really hard work to make it um, it's not, you're not just logging onto your computer and watching movies. They've, they've tried to really come up with some other cool things. I know they're, they're wanting to do Q and A's. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's some like virtual workshops and, and stuff like that, panels and stuff. So, um, there should be plenty of cool stuff to check out. Um, so I'm excited to see what, see what they got. Yeah. I know a lot of film lovers are excited because they can actually catch a lot more films with everything, yeah. uh, going online. So oh, that's true. watching more films, checking out more panels. Um, a lot of exciting things coming up. Yeah, that'll be awesome. Which uh, brings us to our last question. What is Thunder. next for Planet Thunder? What is next? So um, probably not too much that we can actually talk about yet. Yeah. 
uh, big things, but later. <laughs> you heard it here first. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, waiting. Like, is he gonna say something? But that's, that's all good. I uh, really appreciate you guys. Uh, again, thank you guys for being on the show today, uh, Jacob and Zach. Again, thanks for being on the show. So catch us next time when we talk to Kate Jones, director of She's the Eldest. And don't forget uh, to check out Planet Thunder. Thank you guys so much. You guys take care. Thank you guys. Hey everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this special mini episode of the RFP. I'm Vahid Farazona, founder and CEO of Freestyle Creative. And I'm Kelly Gann, Freestyle's president. And today we are talking with a local filmmaker. Joining us today is Kate Jones, director of She's the Eldest. Kate, thanks so much for joining us on the RFP. How are you feeling about your Dead Center directorial debut? Um, I mean, I feel pretty good, a little nervous, um, but I'm pretty excited to, you know, see how people react to it. It's definitely a big accomplishment, and you've been at the festival for many years now on the acting side with a lot of award-winning films, um, but tell us about how you got here directing. Well, I started being obsessed with movies when I was a little kid because uh, my neighborhood was pretty sketchy, so um, we didn't play outside much. So um, me and my sisters started making like plays and skits with each other and um, my parents showed me a lot of really old movies and so I knew I always wanted to act um, and then in 2015 I was working for the government I got really sick of it and I was like well let me just like see if I can do that acting thing that I've always wanted to do so I googled it and um, found some classes and an agent and quickly became obsessed with movies again just by like trying to study like good performances like James Dean and Marlon Brando and um, then I started going to film school and I want to say it was in 2014 that um, I got nominated to be a director for Mono which was an anthology movie and I'd never done it before outside of school so it was very daunting and terrifying to like do a 20 minute piece um, with zero budget, but uh, we got through it and I felt pretty good. And a lot of people um, thought it was very funny and they, uh, you know, were very encouraging. So then I was like, well, I, I kind of want to make another one. Like that was really fun. And I mean, it was terrifying and stressful, but it was enjoyable. So um, I decided to make a movie um, that like I could afford basically with, um, you know, all of my friends, uh, a lot of them volunteered to work for free. And um, since I'd already produced a, uh, a movie for Mickey Reese a couple of years ago and um, crowdfunded that and it worked out pretty great. I was like, well, I can just do that again. So I sat down and wrote the script um, pretty fast. It all kind of wrote itself. I wasn't really, I just made sure that I stuck to stuff I thought wasn't going to be outlandishly expensive or, you know, things that we could pull off as a, as a, a lower budget movie. 
and crowdfunded it through Seed and Spark, um, which lets people volunteer things for you. And then um, we shot it in September in eight days, which was a bit of a nightmare, but it definitely, <laughs> um, it definitely helped me not to, to second guess myself or I didn't have time to be afraid of it, like working out, you know, so I just had to do it because all these people were there and some of, most of them working for like, you know, half price or whatever. And um, we got it done insanely enough and then I you know we got it edited and we kind of just finished it in time for Dead Center um but yeah it's the movie I set out to make um so that feels good it didn't like morph into something that you know I couldn't uh, you know work out <laughs> but uh you know I think the key to it was knowing my financial limits with it. And also, um, I didn't stick to the formula of a family dramedy, like, because, you know, that movie's been made um, better with a lot more money and a bunch of movie stars. So I kind of um, shook up the bag and tried to make it its own thing. And I think that's why it feels so unique to me. Um, but yeah feels good. I remember uh, reading the script for the first time and I was just completely drawn in and I couldn't stop putting it down. And so when you were writing that, what was your, your inspiration? Cause it's very, very unique and I'm excited for people to see it. Um, my sort of inspiration, I knew I wanted to make a movie with my friends and I knew it, it wouldn't be too difficult to do it if it was in like mostly one location, like a house I didn't think that would be too impossible to get. And then um, a lot of it uh, draws from s sort of my childhood, like my sister um, helped raise us a lot. So it was a little bit of an homage to her and her kind of like taking the responsibility of like helping out with so many kids at home when my parents worked a lot. And um the rest of it was just people I wanted to work with and just stuff that came to me as I was writing. And I don't, I don't really know how to fully explain it. I mean, it, it really It'll did just kind of flow out and write itself. So, yeah. So There's I'm sure. a twist at the end that I'm excited for, for yeah. people to see, but. I'm excited for it as well. Uh, so I'm sure all this experience led you to where you are today. And uh, so tell us a little bit about the synopsis for She's the Eldest. So it's about um, three eccentric siblings that um, tr go to their childhood home to reconnect because um, the brother's wife has left him and he's um, feeling a bit suicidal. And so his sisters come home to, you know, look after him and try to make him feel better. But they sort of all end up arguing. And then um, while they're there, they uncover, like, the past of their parents' disappearances um, while they're in the house. And then they kind of go on a little bit of a wild goose chase from there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing it.
Cool. And another really special part of this film is that it was made with an all Oklahoma cast and crew. Um, and Kate, a lot of people that you've worked with before in different capacities, uh, tell us about your experience on set. It was very much a family vibe experience um, because I've worked with everyone um, except for like one PA before on multiple other projects since we have our, you know, Oklahoma film incentive. Um, and then it was really just all the people that I respect their work the most and that I feel like um, had the most heart in the right place. Um, so it was uh, very easy to get them on board um even with like you know taking a pay cut and everything and they were you know the people that i felt like had did the best work were still willing to work with me so that worked out but um yeah it, it turned out great i mean for the most part the whole movie is uh either two takes or th three takes at the most four takes um, but a lot of, a lot of the shots are just, you know, first take and we didn't have time to mess with it. So we moved on and, um, it just worked out that everyone was so professional that, you know, we didn't have to lollygag or worry about it not, you know, coming off right. So. I remember uh, being on set and watching you direct and it just felt like a very, very natural thing. And so wanted to see from you any advice that you have for first time directors that are stepping into directing a feature film for the first time. Unless you feel like you have to do it and are like called to do it and you, and you definitely have to say this thing um, through yourself, you know, as opposed to like, if you have something, a story you want to be told, um, you could just like get a, a screenwriter that you admire to do it for you and then just produce it and help raise the money for it. But uh, if that's not good enough, if you just have to do it yourself, then direct a movie because uh, I, I um, had ulcers. I'm pretty sure I had a heart attack. Uh, it was, it was, uh, the most stressful experience I think I've ever gone through. So first, first rule, don't do it unless you absolutely <laughs> feel like you have to. Run um, away. Don't change your mind. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, I've, I've been, you know, obsessed with movies since I was a little kid. My dad made me watch like all the black and white movies and all the everything. And that's all we did when I was little. So, you know, I knew the language that I was going into. So it wasn't, you know, very foreign to me, but um, I guess the second rule would be uh, write what you know, don't, you know, don't try to, I can write from my perspective as like a, a white woman's perspective. And I don't think that if I tried to write a movie that took place in Africa, that I would do a very good job. Maybe I could direct it, but I don't think I would have the right to try and write that perspective and try to uh, stay within 
your limits, but like do something different with that. So don't, don't write like high speed car chases. If you're, if you're not going to have like, if you don't have that money promised to you, don't sit around on a script with a bunch of like big explosions <laughs> and expensive cars for a long time, waiting for somebody to give you money. If you haven't made anything for them to see, to trust you with that money, like start small and just get people talking in rooms and then go from there. And, you know, I, I think that's, you know, the best thing you can do. What are some, say, uh, yeah. Lance had, sorry about that. Uh, Lance had some great advice too. He's talking about, Hey, just get started. Start with your first project. Think of it as a career and start, you know, stair stepping from there, but yeah, start with something manageable for your first project. Yeah. I mean, there, I've had ideas for big budget things, but those should definitely be on the back burner until like, I, I have somebody trusts me enough to give me that much money, but I wouldn't trust myself to give me that much money, you know, first go around on a feature, you know, start small. So what are some of the films that have inspired you as a filmmaker? I love like, you know, the, the usual Tarantino and okay. Martin Scorsese movies for sure. But I think as an actor, I have really loved uh, Elia Kazan movies. Um, because uh, he just did such great work with the actors and pulled off such amazing performances. And then, I mean, I, I love uh, French New Wave movies and stuff. I love uh, Fiddler on the Roof by Norman Jewison from the 70s, I believe. And David Lynch movies. I mean, it, I'd have to go by director. It's not necessarily um, specific movies. I think this one specifically, I was uh, drawn into um, Practical Magic, but like the good parts of Practical Magic, not the, <laughs> not the easy plot, <laughs> not the easy plot holes and such. And then... Um, for some reason, Beetlejuice like never leaves my mind. And uh, I don't know, a little Twin Peaks and definitely Cape Fear. But I think I'm gonna have to like make a whole movie that's Cape Fear with Corgis <laughs> <laughs> at some point. So when and where is, is your film screening? Um, it's screening at uh, online Dead Center Film Festival. They're doing a virtual festival this year, uh, June 11th through the 21st. So, I mean, it should be available the whole festival, I believe. And uh, yeah. Awesome. And then question I've been wanting to ask for a while, what is next for you? What projects do you have on the horizon that you're developing? Um, I have a couple of scripts that um, one of them is called Chicken House, <laughs> and it's a comedy about um, five actors living in a house, and they get, like, um, one of the roommates decides to sublet their room while they go to L.A. for a while, and uh, their new roommate is pretty nuts and uh, just shakes up the house and, uh, you know has makes everyone get out of their shell a little bit <laughs> and there's a there's a lot going on there there's like an exorcism and there's <laughs> some ghosts <laughs> and uh chaos ensues yeah there's <laughs> some latter-day saints <laughs> it's, it's pretty fun i like it and uh 
and then uh, a more a bigger budget movie that I it just depends on you know what money comes first if I can which one wants to get funded first um, the other one is called the devil is a busy man and it's about um, an actress uh, an older actress whose um, ex-husband keeps uh, he's dead and he, he he starts haunting her just to argue with her about uh, the same old things they argued about when they were married so she goes to this um, mysterious doctor to try and relieve her of this ghost and they kind of just like go through flashbacks of the relationship and such and I kind of um, draw some inspiration on that one from Citizen Kane but also just like some De Palma movies it's a it's it's very odd and surreal drama are those two scripts features you said yeah oh nice um, well, we're excited for your next projects. You're a brilliant writer and director and have a really unique vision. So we're excited to follow your, your next projects and looking forward to those. Thank yes, you. Kate. We're super excited for everything that you have going on in the future and your films. Uh, we're obviously following you and stay in touch. Um, again, thanks again for coming on the RFP. And to our audience, don't forget to check out She's the Eldest on social media and check out the website, she's the eldest.com. Uh, thank you so much, Kate. Thank you. Just take care. Have a good rest of your day. Thanks, you too. Bye.